0: Welcome to this brand new episode of the Great Minds Series. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Zanstrow. This episode of the Great Minds Series podcast is brought to you by Innoversity. Innoversity, the learning experts. Welcome to this edition of Innoversity's Great Minds Series podcast. We are honored today to have Alexander Havard as our guest Alexander is the uh, creator of the virtuous leadership system. He was born in Paris. He is a graduate of the Rene Descartes University, one of France's leading law schools. He has practiced law in France and in several European countries, and he now lives and works in Russia. And he's actually in Russia as we are uh, recording this, in Moscow, actually. His books are Virtuous Leadership and created for greatness. Both of them have been translated into 20 languages. And Alexander's main focus is on virtue and ethics in business. And so it's an honor to have him. Alexander, welcome.
1: Welcome. Thank you very much.
0: Can you, uh, can you give us a bit of your background? How, have you, how does one set out to become a world-renowned expert on, on, on virtue and ethics? What brought you here?
1: What brought me to what brought me to leadership, uh, virtuous leadership, was a very nice experience I had when I was a barrister, because I worked as a barrister, as a lawyer for uh, six or seven years, in Paris and in Strasbourg and in Finland, and what uh, something has something important happened in my life in my thirties, when I was teaching a class on the history of European integration and in the. Helsinki University Mm -hmm. in Finland. And then I noticed that my students were uh, much more interested in human beings than in uh, European Union regulations.
0: (laughs) Really, that sounds (laughs) remarkably
1: surprising. Yes, and that their questions were were very much about uh, who were the founders of European Union, how do you become such a person, uh, what kind of character they had, huh. how to develop the character they had. So the question that my students were asking me were fundamentally anthropological questions. They had nothing to do with law. These were things about life, meaning of life, about what's a human being, things that we have to do. So I, the, the, I discovered that in the end of the day in university, is not doing its job because the university does not educate people. It does not uh, bring the best in human beings nowadays. The universities mostly just sell information to people. But this is not education. But my students asked for education because they saw that I had certain answers to certain questions because I had also education in philosophy, not only in law. And also because I was trying to practice the things I was speaking about, which mm-hmm. <laughs> is nowadays, nowadays not very common in universities. Right. <laughs> but I was not a university person. That's why I could, uh, I could do those things. So I had a very good contact with my students. And at the end of the day, I decided to quit with law and uh, dedicate myself to teaching really virtuous leadership. I came slowly to the idea of virtuous leadership, the first thing I was thinking about it, what is it that my students need? And I came to this topic of virtuous leadership because it's an anthropology, it's uh, it's leadership based on the on a vision of the human being. So through virtuous leadership, you give a lot of things to people, things they, that give meaning to their life, that help them become better people, that help them lead other people. So in the end of the day, I discovered that the virtuous leadership is much more than leadership. It's really a, a life ideal because it's about greatness and about service. And that's, those things are really ideals. So it, uh, I was amazed by the beauty of this science. And I decided not to quit with that and to go on with my investigations. And I wrote those books, Virtuous Leadership, Created for Greatness, The Power of Magnanimity. And I noticed that people are amazed, people are interested, and I began to receive phone calls from all over the world, from the United States, from China, from Europe, from Africa, and I began to travel and teach this topic. Now it's been 10 years I've been doing this. So this is the way I came. Uh, I came to this thing because young people uh, brought me to this. It's not something I had decided to do, I just... I just saw that people were asking for this, especially the young people, and then I, I had the capacity to answer the questions. So I decided, why why wouldn't I be with them all the time? So I did this after for the business community, for the for the, the top managers of big corporations, for the military, for, um, for education. But at the beginning, those people who brought me to, Vir- to the idea of virtuous leadership were students in the early 20s amazing in, the, in northern europe yeah
0: we have had uh, a large number of people on this podcast and the interesting thing about most of these conversations is we end up even if the guests really haven't thought in the in the philosophical terms we end up at anthropology we end up with the question of who is a human being what is a human being what do they deserve, what are they owed, what is justice, uh, what is fairness, and what is virtue. And so uh, your philosophical background is underpinning an awful lot of thinking going on about uh, human relationships and human resource planning and business. I'm, I'm glad to see there's a bit of a renaissance here.
1: Yeah, because if you speak about um, management as being the science of uh Move thinking, to move, management is about moving things forward, mm-hmm. achieving goals. This is what management is about, and we need people like this, obviously. But leadership is very much the science of how do you move people forward. Mm-hmm. So if you want to move people forward, you better know what people are. Right. <laughs> so you better have an anthropology. If you don't have an anthropology, you just uh, you will deal with people like managers deal with human beings which is the same thing as dealing with things. Assets. Yeah, assets. As we say, human resource, you know, human resource. Yeah. Do you remember uh, the great uh, Herb Calaver at sure. uh, Southwest Airlines? It was used to say, well, we, we don't have a human resource department because human beings are not resources. We have a people's department. Right. He was right. I mean, he understood very well that leadership is an anthropology. It's how do you understand the human person, the human, the human being. So when you teach leadership or where you want to become a real leader, you have to be, have the capacity to, um, to put yourself above the management things, which is about things and begin to sp- think about what, what is a human being. So it's an anthropology there's no leadership without clear anthropology without a clear vision of what is temperament, what is character, what virtues are, what is the dignity of the human person. If you don't know those things well, then you will collapse as a leader because you will be just a manager and you will think you are doing leadership things when in fact you're just managing human beings.
0: We we see this shift with uh, a number of companies actually having chief people officers now and getting away from the human resources. one one of our One of our friends in this uh, podcast, Bob Chapman, often talks about all of the bad language around human resources. We fire people, we demote. I mean, there, there there's some actually fairly violent terminology. <laughs> yeah, built built around how we treat. Uh, human beings, but I, I want to get to the question and just lay this out and 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 listen to you think about it uh, and walk us through it. What is virtuous
1: leadership? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean um, that leadership has to be uh, virtuous, which means it has to be based on character. If not, it is not leadership, it is something else. I mean, that leadership is not just about achieving goals like management. As I told you, it's very much about transforming people. So uh, leadership is about achieving greatness by bringing out the greatness in others. This is my definition of leadership. And this includes two main virtues, the virtue that produce produces greatness and the virtue that produces service. Because if leadership is about achieving greatness by bringing out the greatness in others, you need obviously two things to be a leader that are very specific to leaders. It is vision of greatness, greatness in your own life, and the vision of service. You have to be a servant of the others. First, greatness. Second, service. And these are virtues that help you do those things. You achieve greatness when you possess the virtue of magnanimity which is the virtue of great people, of dreamers that transform their dreams into, into visions and into actions. And the virtue of humility, which is the virtue that makes you a real servant of the others. And these are virtues, so these are not just desires. It's not because you want to be a great person that you become great, you have to practice greatness. So you have to practice the virtue, which is a habit, the virtue of magnanimity. You have to practice the virtue of humility. That's not enough to do have a desire to serve, you have to be a servant. So to be a servant means to practice the um, habit that is called humility. So we mm-hmm. use the concept of virtuous leadership in order to help people understand that in the end of the day, true leadership is based on character and character is made up of virtues. So there is no, there is no leadership that, that wouldn't be virtuous. That would be just a manipulation of human beings. But at the same time, we we want to say well we don't say it in the, we don't say this in the word virtuous leadership. We just uh, we we want to say that it's not because you practice virtue that you are a leader. You are a leader because you practice fundamentally the two specific virtues of leaders that are the virtues of magnanimity and the virtue of humility. But the other virtues that we are used to call the cardinal virtues or the fundamental virtues like courage. Justice, self-control, mm-hmm. prudence—these are Yeah, these are foundational virtues. These are virtues that uh, we need to practice just if we want to become human beings. And right. they are the foundations of leadership. But these, does, these are not the specificity of leadership. It's not because you're a good person that you're a leader. So you this is
0: to, let me let me interrupt you here just yeah. to clarify because this is this is thick stuff, but it's good stuff. So, if, if we think of this as a pyramid, and at the bottom of the pyramid are Aristotle's you know virtues of justice, fairness, fairness courage, and so on. Those yeah. are the things that make you a person.
1: These um, are the things that make you a human being. Yeah, but...
0: Because these to, are human virtues, yeah. To move uh, beyond mere humanity and to be in a position of leadership, uh, there are other virtues that are required. And those virtues are generosity and humility.
1: I would call—I don't call them generosity. I call them magnanimity, because generosity is something else. Okay. Generosity is the capacity to give to the others what you have in your pocket, while magnanimity is the virtue of great people—people people that have a great vision of life, that are capable of setting very high goals for themselves and for the others. So, if you want to be a servant of the others, if you want to bring a uh, the best in others, then you have to have a very high vision of people. Mm-hmm. you have to have a you have to be a, you have to serve people with your magnanimity, with your greatness, not with your weaknesses. And so then, you, need to, you need to have a vision of talents. You have to develop talents <laughs> in yourself and even others. If not, it's not a it's not a leadership service. It can be any it. Uh, Many people serve, but they are not leaders because they serve not the way leaders serve. Okay, leaders serve with magnanimity.
0: But if but you have that without humility, there's there's a balancing act here, right? Because yeah. you can you can have that and become a monster if you don't have humility
1: to to level it out. Yeah, this is a very this is something I speak a lot uh, in my classes. These two virtues of humility and magnanimity. They cannot be separated from one another, because if you imagine you, that will be false magnanimity. Right. Magnanimity without humility—it's just pride, <laughs> or it's megalomania. And that's a fine line. Yes, there is a line which is quite clear. We explain you how. And then, if you practice, if you if you think you practice humility but you have no magnanimity, then it will not be humility. It will be pusillanimity, small-mindedness. Mm-hmm. So this is a very interesting thing in philosophy is that those two virtues must never be separated. If not, we get it We, don't, we get it wrong. We can have a false vision of humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when people see the humble person is the small one mm-hmm. or the false vision of magnanimity, when I think that the, the, this magnanimous person is the proud one. So in the end of the day, the, the, the way to have things uh, clear in our mind and in our actions it's probably to remember those words of the very famous um, Scottish runner uh, who won the gold medal in Paris, at uh, the paris Olympic Games in 1926, Eric Little mm-hmm. He was used to say, remember, God made me fast. Mm. This is the way to remember, uh, this is the way to practice humility and magnanimity at the same time. When you say, God made me fast, you say, I have talents. I'm fast. But I am aware that these talents is a gift of God to me. Mm-hmm. This is my humility. Humility is the truth. And the truth is that you have a talent and that this talent comes from God. You've not it's not the result of your activity. So if you know those things well, if they are well located in your heart and in your mind and in your intelligence, there is no reason for you. To become crazy and to become proud, because you know these are gifts, and I am responsible for the gifts I have received. So the what I see very often in people this uh, tendency towards a false magnanimity. It's because they they lack this humility of understanding that what they have, they have received it. It's not something they've produced for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's a gift they have, and I think when we understand the gifts that we have, and we understand they are gifts then everything is okay, everything is in, a, is in its place. But the big problem I have noticed with many people is the opposite, which is they, not cap, they are not capable of understanding that they have those talents. They, don't, they, they are afraid of talents. Right. And this is what I call the false humility. I am much more afraid of, of people that are falsely humble that those are just crazy and think (laughs) they're gods, you know, because the one who thinks he's a god, you see he's crazy. Mm -hmm. So there is no much problem with him because you understand what's the problem. But with those people who are falsely humble, then there is a big difficulty because um, they are not sincere with themselves. You know, they are are afraid of uh, perceiving their talents because they think that they will be proud. Right. speak too much about their talents. But in fact, to speak about your talents is to speak about your responsibility. Right. Do you remember your yeah, the American writer, Flannery O'Connor? Sure. When she was used to say, well, I write because I write well. And small people were <laughs> upset by this. They thought, they thought it was a lack of modesty, mm-hmm. but she was saying it in a magnanimous way, she was saying people, I know my talent. And I better know it. If not, I would not serve you with it. So, But I know this is a gift from God. So she was really a great woman. Right. She was really a great writer, too. A great writer, a great woman. She was, she was exactly what we're speaking about when we speak about, virtuous leadership. These are people that are humble and at the same time very magnanimous. And they don't have problems in having those two virtues at the same time. They can practice it those two virtues at the same time in a very easy way, in a very natural way. And people that don't practice those two virtues have a lot of problems to understand those people.
0: Let's, let's shift this to the business context because many of the people who are listening to this podcast today are involved in business. Many of them are um, involved in, in people leadership uh, positions. As you're traveling, the, the, the ontological discussion and philosophical discussion that we just had how does that translate into uh, a business context? And what are you seeing as you're meeting with uh, companies and militaries? What, 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 are you, what are you seeing as you have and, and hearing as you have these conversations?
1: Well, uh, there is uh, <coughs> you know, this, um, this virtue of humility, which is the specific virtue of leaders. Which is about bringing out the greatness in others to be servant of other people. Then you have to think about in an organization like a military or a company, a business company, or an education. What does this mean to practice humility? And then you explain them ten points. What does this really means? And you explain them that you that you practice humility when you help your people grow, when you help them uh, develop, when you keep capable of delegating power when you're capable of including of empowering people when you when you think about the succession of your organization more than about yourself when you do those things you practice humility i mean uh, uh, a boss uh, ceo of an organization would think about the succession of the company would tries to nurture and to identify aden- uh, identify future leaders in the organization help people develop their skills who help people know themselves better who delegate a lot of power all the time in order to help people exper- experience their own freedom and responsibility who empower and include people in the in, in the decision making process mm-hmm. this is a humble person. this is very simple this is absolute humility because he's serving people. He's he's serving the way leaders serve, because he's serving them, helping them develop in life and become themselves leaders. It's education. A boss has to be an educator. A boss has to be a teacher. If he's not a teacher, he's just a boss. He's just a manager and he has nothing, this guy has nothing to do with leadership. So this is a very practical thing I'm telling you, that humility has direct consequences and in a way to direct a company. You're dealing with human beings and you are here to help them move forward, to help them grow, and you have to know what are the basic principles that you have to apply to make those people grow. And if you do this, you practice the virtue of humility, which is the virtue of service. And it it creates a real corporate culture inside the organization corporate culture of service mm-hmm. this is not easy but this is the way leaders hand has little to do with democracy it's about inclusion inclusion works everywhere even in in organization where there is no democracy at all and in fact there is no democracy in business corporations mm-hmm. but inclusion and empowerment is possible at any level okay it's, it's a moral principle that has nothing to do with with law it's not a, it's not a legal principle it's a moral principle the principle of humility. So this is the first thing I tell them and I, of course, during hours and hours we study all those 10 points of how your humility is practiced and how you do it. And also I speak a lot to them about the magnanimity thing which is about the dream, about the sense of mission, about what's the mission of their lives and what's the mission of the organization and uh, how do they spread the mission throughout the organization. These are things we speak a lot because these are important things that make great people. So, these are, you know, if you think in terms of uh, business uh, organizations, just two words greatness means mission, and humility means empowerment. So, you have two words here that are very practical and help people understand how much they practice greatness and service
0: many of the people in our audience are involved in learning training development in in large corporations uh, and and there's there's always a debate are we trying to teach skills or are we trying to teach traits and many companies immediately jump to skills what we really need is a, a as a as a higher skill level in our workforce it's it's skills 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 <coughs> it's, it's the ability to do something um, some of the companies that are a bit more thoughtful want their people to be something. It's not just a set of skills; it's it's a series of traits that they're looking for. Um, what are your thoughts on that? On being versus doing?
1: On traits versus skills? Yeah, but this, this is um, this is something of a basic, which means they you have to do, help people develop their the character and if you make uh, a little change there one millimeter change in the character of a person this can have uh, a consequence of 1 kilometer <laughs> in terms of mm-hmm. of movement and changes in a corporation because it's a change at a level of consciousness at the level of a moral habit as an incredible consequence in terms of creativity just think about the virtue of prudence yeah. If you make someone prudent, you, you give him the capacity to be at any position, any moment in his life, to be a person that can make incredible decisions. So, uh, so, so there is no way. Um, this is the way it moves. This is the way you do. You, 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 you can do things. So, uh, to be is much more important than to do. But when you change the being of people, you change also their doing mm-hmm. in a in a much bigger way. So I think it's a question of time. You need a bit more time. But the thing with the skills, that when you develop skills, you can develop skills of people in a few hours, and then they are immediately, you have the feedback immediately. You, if you invested $10, you get $20. Mm-hmm. So the problem with the um, modern businessmen is they don't want to launch processes that will change humanity. What they want is to be rich. Mm-hmm. And to be rich now, I mean, tomorrow morning, you know what I mean So, not the latest right (laughs) it's like you know when you're parents and you have children you understand what time means but many of those people don't have children they don't know what time is Mm -hmm. they just want to be tomorrow rich and then they focus on skills Mm -hmm. yeah they don't want to educate people what they want is to instill in them a few skills and make them robots so that you will be the rich one not these people who have the skills. So there is an instrument. You are instrumentalizing people in doing those things because you don't help that person grow. You just make him be more efficient for you, for you to be more richer. So it's um it says something diabolic in this. There is something really, very, really, very really absolutely, uh, it's an honest, and this idea of giving people skills all the time is, because they get skilled, but they don't grow as human beings. And they don't become more, more creative on the long term on the sh- they just give you something on the short term and after you throw them to the garbage.
0: And at the the end of the day, that is not leadership.
1: And this is nothing to do with leadership. this is management, right? This is a short term, it's a short term. So uh, it's management. It's using people, which means using things right And uh, it's the same mentality all the time that comes uh, in leadership. It's what is a human being for right. you? I mean, the fundamental question in leadership is all well, this one: What is a human being? Is there a transcendence, dignity in a human being, or not? Or is a human being an instrument? Yeah, or pure material. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is the key: this is uh, the idea that business is about instruments and about things is wrong. You know, all the great people that were in business in the United States, like Herb Kelleher at at Southwest Airlines, um, uh, Darwin Smith at Kimberly. Clark mm-hmm. or the great French of Michelin, mm-hmm. these were incredible people. Mm-hmm. And they knew much better than I know what I'm speaking about now. And they were very successful. Nobody can accuse them of not being successful practicing virtuous leadership. Right. They practiced it and they've been more successful than all the other companies in France and in America. So so right. leadership leadership, virtuous leadership really pays off. Those who say it doesn't, pay as off, it doesn't pay off, it's because they don't want to practice it. So they rationalize, and say it does not pay because business is about, is about making money on the short term. But all those great people in business have always told me that business is not about making money. Business is about achieving personal and organizational greatness. And if you do this, you make much more. You make much more money than the others. <laughs> That's it. That is the principle of life. Right. The simple principle of life. It turns and out it works. It turns out that it works because it's natural. Yeah. When you do things naturally, it works. Yeah. When you things when you do when you do things uh, that flies in the face of human humanity, it doesn't work. It's like Soviet Union. You know the the modern liberalism is very much like the Soviet system. In the end of the day, it collapses because we do things against human nature. Right.
0: Or it's a misunderstanding yeah. of who we actually are and what It's what a
1: misunderstanding we are. of what we are, so I'm convinced that the uh, the liberal Western model of capitalism may also collapse in the same way as communism has collapsed. Do you remember communism collapsed in a few years? Right. It was very funny. And I'm convinced that the wall of liberalism can also collapse in a few years. And we will be surprised. The thing is that uh, so many people don't believe that it is not natural to work like this because they've been working like this for two hundred years. Mm-hmm. But people are very unsatisfied. Look at America nowadays. When you see all those political things around, it's because people are very unhappy. Yeah, and this America- is
0: this is some residue of the industrial revolution, right? The the sort yeah. of the mechanization of the human being and thinking of us as
1: sort but of you have everything. You have everything I mean, in it. A lot of money. You have um, a law system that seems to be working very well. If people are unhappy. What's mm-hmm. that? People are seems to be very very unhappy.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, and I I, I I know this because I, I, I go to America twice a year and I spend a whole month there, and I see very st- frustrated and unhappy people. And I think it's because of this. It's because in the end of the day, it's still uh, a management uh, management country. And there is, we speak a lot about leadership, which is a good thing, but people don't really practice it.
0: We we see this in surveys. So if if, if you take a survey of, uh, of of people in the United States who are employed, um, yeah, north of seventy percent of them are significantly unhappy, unfulfilled in their job.
1: Yeah. yeah, I can't imagine that. Well,
0: now you look at that and think, now wait a minute. Compare <laughs> you know, compare the income level to. Just about any other place. Uh, compare the opportunity to freely move about. Compare the. Compare all of these things. It it should be inverted. It should be seventy or eighty percent of people are just thrilled to be working and being you know being paid as much as they are based on a global scale. But it's, that's not the case. They're they're feeling very very much like um, you
1: know an object. Yeah, they feel like an object. Yeah. Yeah yeah, it's um yeah, it's it's very bad. It's very, very bad. So that's why my virtuous leadership thing is working quite well in America. I mean the books have been translated into many languages We we sold a lot of books in America. We have a lot of seminars in the military, in education, mm-hmm. higher education, also in the business, so business community. I, I see people are asking for this more and more. yeah, I do too. people people want it. And uh, that's why it works. There well, a better
0: way. way. I think what's being sought is a better way. And it turns out that a better way, isn't. Uh, it isn't necessary to to create it. It's it's necessary to recognize that a better way has existed for a very long time.
1: Um, yeah. You know, and that there is something... Uh, these are not yeah, new is, concepts. These are not new concepts. The thing is that many people have tried to say those things. I'm trying... But they have they had no philosophical or anthropological education, mm-hmm. so they were using words that um, were not very precise, right. and uh, because they didn't know the history of philosophy, the history of moral of ethics, and we have an incredible heritage coming from the ancient Greeks, absolutely, also from the Christian tradition, and there are beautiful things that can be said in very simple words, and that people can can help a lot of people understand the history of all this. There is a history behind each word that we use in virtuous leadership. And people have to know this, have to understand that. And when they discover those words, they are very happy because they see that that uh, they are not the first in the history of humanity that tried to practice (laughs) those things. (laughs) So it is, uh, these concepts are time tested. So they're true. It's not psycho bubble. It's not psycho bubble. No, it's, it's not a book about how do you become a better human being, or how do you become effective, or how do you earn uh, three million dollars in a week. These are serious. This serious material on which humanity has been thinking during more than during almost three thousand years. Right.
0: yeah. So it turns out, in in your way of thinking, uh, that business, true business, human success comes from a proper understanding of philosophy.
1: Yeah, basic philosophy, I think, moral philosophy, it's, yeah. uh, it's not something too complicated. It's about virtue. And
0: this is probably a conversation that's not happening in most MBA programs.
1: No, that's why in, uh, uh, we teach virtuous leadership in a few MBA programs, because we are asked to do this. And many a few universities around America are interested in what we're doing and we are entering into partnerships with a few universities. Fantastic, and that's very good because then more and more students, uh, MBA students, hear about uh, the concept of virtual leadership and try to practice it. Great. So I'm very happy about that.
0: So Alexander, one of the things that we always do on the uh, on the podcast is ask our guests uh, to tell us their favorite story. We do a lot of storytelling. And um, it can be about whatever you like. But I'd like to give you the opportunity to share with our audience um,
1: your favorite story. My favorite story is a story I tell in my book, uh, Virtuous Leadership, in the very beginning. That is, um, one day I was traveling from St. Petersburg, Russia, to the capital of Finland, Helsinki. It's about 300 kilometers. It was very cold. It was minus 20 Celsius. I don't know what that is and. Uh, Still cold. It's, too, it's very, very <laughs> cold there. Yeah, it's it's um, very cold. Typical Russian winter, February. And uh, the bus stopped at the last, at uh, the border with Finland, and just for a few uh, half an hour probably. And then I went out of the bus and I went walking around and I see a, I saw an old lady. This was 1992. So, it was okay. a very hard time for the Russians. It was just after the, the communism collapsed. there were a lot of poor people around. And uh, I saw an old lady who was um, trying to find some food or something in the garbage uh, around there. and I close I came close to her and i I gave her my last rubles. She didn't say a word, she just looked she didn't say a word. she just looked at me with a little smile. She took my rubles, and then I went back to the to the, uh, to, the to the bus because I was in they didn't want to lose the bus on my way back to Finland. And uh, when I came to the bus, I saw that lady was running after me, an old lady so she was not running very quickly, but she did what she could. with an enormous um, with flowers she had bought. so with the money that I gave her <laughs> instead of going for I think, for a, a dinner. Having a good dinner in a in a restaurant in that little city, she bought flowers for me, and uh, she gave me flowers and just and she left and she went away, and I was thinking about um, after that when I, I, I went in, inside the bus I stepped in the bus, and the bus went on to Finland, and it was um, I was shocked and positively shocked and very amazed. By the, uh, the generosity of uh, of that of that old woman, that uh, this was the way for her to to thank me for what uh, I did, that I gave her this uh, this uh, this little pieces, this little rubles that I had, and this reminds me of always one thing: it is um, this uh, impression uh, of what she did. It was a it was a great act of magnanimity and generosity, uh, a very ethical action. This produces a real change in our hearts, in our mind. And I really try in my classes to do this, to teach my students what the old lady in the little city of Viborg did with me, Mm. which is to, um, you have to, uh, when you teach Virtuous Leadership, what I try to do is to to appeal to the highest, uh, the highest, uh, I would say the highest uh, highest level of consciousness of people, sense of beauty, sense of truth, mm-hmm. sense of goodness. In you know, order that these people change their heart, in order to to begin a new process in their lives. So it's uh, it's always about conversion of the heart. That everything I di- I understood that during that story, that everything has to begin with the conversion of the heart. It's not enough just to begin to understand certain things. It's not enough to have a desire for certain things. It is, you need to have, first of all, real conversion. There must be an aesthetic, aesthetical conversion. Mm-hmm. The aesthetics are very important in virtuous leadership. Uh, the, the conversion of metanoia, like the Greek we used to speak, is so important. Yeah. So what uh, what that little, that old lady in um, in Russia told me, when what she did, is what I try to teach my students when I teach virtuous leadership. I want them to have a new vision of themselves, a new vision of life, a vision of beauty, a vision of truth, a vision of goodness, and even a vision of God, and a vision of self. So this is, this is, in the end of the day, what is the most important, is to help people uh, experience a real conversion of the heart, mm-hmm. in order to have a conversion of the mind and a conversion of the will afterwards. Right. The heart, this is the, this is the key thing, the heart. You have to change the heart of people if you want to have virtuous leaders, it's not a question of mind and will. It's fundamentally a question of heart. Magnanimity and humility are rooted in the heart of people, much more than the four fundamental virtues of courage, justice, self-control, and prudence. prudence. Yeah, so the heart of people is what is fundamentally involved in virtuous leadership. And until you don't change that heart, you are not helping your, your students move forward in life. And you are not making them virtuous leaders. You work on their intellect and on their will, but that's not enough. You don't operate a real change in them. So, this is what this is the story, and this story uh, had a great impact. It had a big impact on me because it helped me think about all those things of the conversion of the heart Wonderful. as the beginning of a process of self transformation.
0: Well, Alexander, I want to thank you for uh, being our guest on the Great Mind Series on University's Great Mind Series podcast. Um, this is um, this is deep, and it's very, very thought provoking. And um, so, thank you so much for coming on today and and sharing your thoughts, sharing your background, sharing your history, sharing your story with us. We we very much appreciate it, and uh, hopefully, um, some hearts will 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 change as a result of hearing this and, and thinking through who they are and who they want to become. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Great Mind Series podcast with me, your host, Dr. Jerry Zanstry. Please make sure to subscribe to our show as well as share the word with your coworkers and friends. Again, the Great Mind Series podcast is brought to you by Innoversity, the learning experts.